Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Tavia Kowalchuk, and today we're discussing a book set in rural America. Another book I've read with that setting is called The Cherry Harvest by Lucy Sana. It's so cool. It's set during World War II, and this is a real program that happened. Nazi POWs were sent to farms to help bring in the in the harvest. And so this novel is about the conflict that having these POWs in this small community causes. It's fascinating. I'm Eliza Rosenberry. I have two books set in rural America to recommend. One is called Heartland by Sarah Smarsh, which was a finalist for the National Book Award um, a couple of years ago. It's about growing up in rural Kansas, uh, white working class farmers in rural Kansas. And Sarah Smarsh is a journalist, so it's very good. And then the other book is called, I haven't read it yet, but it's called The Vanishing Country by Bakari Sellers, which Tavia and I just heard about at work last week, um, which is about growing up black working class in rural America. Yeah, that's on my list too. Yeah, so we've got a lot to read. On today's show, there's never a dull moment in the small town of Henry Adams, Kansas. There's an upcoming mayoral election that has the town buzzing in On the Corner of Hope and Maine. Later in the show, NAACP Image Award nominee and USA Today bestselling author Beverly Jenkins joins us from her home in Michigan to answer some questions from you, our listeners. And now we present to you, On the Corner of Hope and Maine, Abridged. Henry Adams, Kansas is a small town that was founded by freed slaves. In recent years, it had fallen on hard times and put itself up for sale on eBay. Bernadine Brown had just come into a massive amount of money from her divorce settlement with oil man Leo Brown and decided to put her wealth to good use to modernize and rejuvenate Henry Adams. Now, the town is preparing for a mayoral election that is bringing a fair amount of drama to the area. The candidates include Riley Curry, the local barber, Colonel Barrett Payne, the town's head of security, and surprise, surprise, Sheila Barrett, the colonel's wife. Tensions continue to rise when Leo, Bernadine's ex, returns to town to exact his revenge with a shady plot involving a big agriculture seed company. As Henry Adams chooses its next mayor, the town remains a place of second chances and hope, where many families have adopted foster children, and where Bernadine's modernizations have brought the community even closer together. So Eliza, what did you think of this book? It was so fun to escape into this small, close-knit community and sort of sink into the town's drama and dynamics. Everyone knows everybody else's business, and there's a lot of business to know. (laughs) Um, I really, really enjoyed reading about this community. You know, I agree. And one thing that really appealed to me about this was it felt like, like Bernadine was like world building, like in a video game or something, Mm -hmm. because I really bought into this fantasy of of taking over a little town and, you know, fixing it up and and righting all the wrongs of like past leaders. And I was really captivated by that dynamic for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. There are a bunch of other books by Beverly Jenkins that are set in this town, right? I've never read her her before. Have you read her books before? I haven't. I've heard so much about her. I've heard she's an awesome lady and and you know, I know her fans are very loyal, but I've never read her before. So I was so happy that I had this chance to dive in. Yeah, me too. This was a great selection for the podcast and I'm excited that there's a lot a lot more to read. 
I think it's going to be a really cool conversation with Beverly because the book is kind of feminist. And so I imagine that Beverly is too. You know, like there's this female mayoral candidate. I also really like the way that, you know, Beverly is like, you know, the CEO of the town. And even um, the tough Marine, the male character, he even he sort of relents to his wife's suggestion and he goes to see therapy and um, kind of, I don't know, like lets his softer side come out. I, I just really, I liked that. It was very gently presented, but clear. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm so excited to talk to Beverly. Well, Eliza, I'm holding up my water glass for our virtual toast. Me too. Clink. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Quick reminder to our listeners that we really love hearing from you, especially now that we're you know, still just working from home. So you can join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can stay connected with other book lovers and pose your own questions to the authors like Beverly Jenkins, who appear on our show. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the On the Corner of Hope and Maine audiobook. That's so cool. I, I haven't listened to this audiobook either. I think it'll be a nice, a fun excerpt. Today, we are joined by Beverly Jenkins, whose book, On the Corner of Hope and Maine, is out now. Hi, Bev. Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the invite. This is kind of cool. Yeah, it's fun to do this from home. (laughs) Um, We're going to start off with a question from our Book Club Girl Facebook group. One One of your readers, Susan from Kansas, wants to know, how did you choose Kansas as the setting for the Blessings novels? I use Kansas because I based Henry Adams on the um, the real towns that were founded there after the great exodus of 1879 was the uh, first mass migration of African-Americans out of the South. Uh, people always sort of focus on the 1900 migration where everybody went North. Well, these folks went West and they founded small little townships in places like Kansas, Nicodemus, which is what Henry Adams is basically based on. Um, It's now on the National Register of Historic Places. So they went to Kansas, they went to Iowa, they went to Nebraska, some went as far west as um, Colorado, Deerfield, and um, California. So I like to place my stories where African-Americans actually walked. And Henry Adams is also the setting for my very first historical um, night song. So all of the people in my <laughs> contemporaries are descendants of the characters in my historicals. Oh, wow. Yeah, kind of a good hook. Yeah, that is so cool. That is really cool. Bev, can, can I ask, have you visited? Um, you said it's Henry Adams is based on a real town in Kansas. Have you visited? No, I haven't. The town's gone. Oh, okay. But um, they have a reunion every year and they have asked me to come because a lot of the people who are descendants and live there uh, have read the books. But there's no place to stay. I mean, I'd need an RV or, you know, a big tent or, but one of my readers, um, Kathy, who's in Colorado, went last year and she said she had a ball. So I guess there are a few structures, you know, there, but you know, most people are either staying with family nearby or using mm-hmm. RVs or, or whatever, but wow. it's a very historic, 
and a very, very important place um, on the African-American timeline here in the United States. We were both so fascinated by that history in the book. I guess, I don't know if there's anything more to add for our listeners about what you already told us, but I think if there's more to say that we would love to hear it. You know, in my own journey to being published, it was funny because, you know, like everybody else, I got a ton of rejections, right? But they didn't know what to do with this book, the first book, Night Song, because, you know, we're told in history that you know, um, African-Americans, you know, came as slaves, we were freed, you know, and then we turn up again in Watts writing in, eight, in 1965, right? So got that whole century, they're sort of blank. So New York is looking at my manuscript and they're like, free black people in a town in Kansas? <laughs> so there was really no box for it, but it's, it's historic. Um, after World War II, when people started leaving their hometowns, you know, after the war and all of that, mm -hmm. um, Nicodemus sort of started going down population-wise and, and all of that. So, you know, it, it suffered the fate of a lot of, of small towns, but mm -hmm. it's, it's first in our hearts. Everybody that has read it wants to move there um, <laughs> because of the love and the family and the found family and all the different, you know, themes that you have. Early on in the book, one of the more shocking twists is when Sheila tells her husband Barrett that she's running for mayor against him. So I wanted to ask what led Sheila to make that decision? Well, you know, over the course of the books, we have seen Sheila really, really grow. Um, when she came um, in the first book, she sort of had no life. She was like, you know, Barrett was everything and all she did was sort of, you know, run behind him and make sure he had what he needed. Uh, being a military wife, she had, you know, served him all these years. And then being around these take charge women, you know, Bernadine and, and Tamar and, and Lily and um, she started sort of growing, you know, a spine. Um, being a mom to Preston um, helped her self-esteem too. So I think, because, you know, they've got their own little society. They've got the historical, the, the, I've forgotten what it's called. Um, the women get together, you know, once a month or whatever. And I think that she started to come into her own and she realized how much she had inside that was not being utilized for herself. Mm. Um, she sort of grew her own agency, which is, you know, the, the, one of the buzzwords for, for now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she surprised me. I mean, when he, the marriage was on the rocks in book two, and she sort of left, and Barrett was very, very surprised that, you know, she said, I need to take time off. You know, I need to get out of here. And that contributed to it. Too. I've rooted for, you know, I've just been, you know, rooting for, for Sheila for all of these yeah. books. Um, my editor, it was interesting because my editor was like, I don't really like her, you know, in the first book. And I said, well, you know, we all get to grow up. And I think we're going to see her growth through these books. And we have. She's mm. grown a lot. Very, very proud of her. I think she's going to be a great mayor. <laughs> 
I do too. It's so interesting that um, your editor didn't like her initially because, you know, I haven't read the earlier books in the series. I want to go back now, but I really liked Sheila. I thought she was just a super cool lady, really powerful, a great mom. It's night and day. Mm. It is night and day. You read that first book and yeah, she convinced Barrett to move there, but she had no personality. I mean, she was like a blank canvas. She might as well have been a ghost. Yeah. Um, and to see her come into her own, the, the readers have been just rooting for her. They, they loved her in this last book because they followed her journey through all of these books. So um, if you're interested in seeing her, you know, grow up, for lack of a better term, you know, start with book one and go through because, you know, everybody in the town sort of makes a journey in this series. Um, yeah. The kids, uh, we did the kids first, um, then started on the adults. Because everybody has such an interesting life. I had no idea all this stuff was going on in this little bitty town. <laughs> you know, because you know, I'm a pantser. I don't plot. So, you know, I sort of let the characters do the story and, and tell me where I'm going and, and all that. So, yeah. I loved how um, how Barrett changed in the book, how he was like staunchly anti, you know, anything kind of like woo-woo, like no therapy, my wife can't leave the house. And then he really had a change of heart through the book. And I just, I just love that. He's made a lot of strides too. Mm -hmm. um, Preston didn't really initially, they had, they've had their issues. Um, Preston didn't really want him as his foster parent because he was such as, and, and everybody in the town said Barrett was a hard ass. You know, he's a Marine, you know, he's a Marine drill sergeant. Of course he's a hard ass. So he wasn't very open. He wasn't very loving. He wasn't very sensitive to, to the kinds of things that um, when you compare him to say Trent or um, Gary later on in the books, but uh, he's made a journey also. Mm. He's made a, a big journey. You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is Beverly Jenkins, whose book, On the Corner of Hope and Maine, is out now. You can read more about Beverly's book at bookclubgirl.com slash podcast. And coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, Beverly answers more questions, and later in the show, we ask about her literary white whale. Stick around. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by The Lost and Found Bookshop by Susan Wiggs. In The Lost and Found Bookshop, a woman must take over the family bookshop and care for her invalid grandfather after her mother's sudden death. It's available now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Beverly Jenkins, author of On the Corner of Hope and Maine. We have another question. So Mallory from our Book Club Girls Facebook group asks... Who is your favorite character? Amari. Now you have to tell us why. <laughs> you knew right away. Yeah, he, 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 he stole my heart with that first book. Um, he went from, I mean, I, you cannot not love Amari. Um, his journey has been something. Um, I think it's book five where he has an incident in his life that had everybody in the country crying. Wow. Um, 
he's such an interesting character and you've seen his growth from being a, a, a mini carjacker. He was like the Jeff Gordon of Detroit. He was stealing cars and he was only eight, eight or nine years old. <laughs> and, you know, he had these blocks that he would put on the brakes and on the, uh, the gas pedal so that he could get around. And it wasn't anything that, you know, crime. He just wanted to see what was going on. And when they, when they go get the kids in book one, he stole a car while he was at the airport waiting for Bernadine to come get him. And he's just, I just love him to death. That's a good um, transition into one of my questions, which is one really notable aspect of Henry Adams as a town is that many of the families have adopted foster children. And I was curious, what inspired you to bring that into the story? There's a whole explanation in book in book one. I'm, I'm shamelessly selling the series here. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, it started with an article that I read in Parade Magazine a thousand years ago. It was, a, it was called A Place Called Hope. And an academic, and I think she was in Iowa, convinced the United States government to give her an abandoned Air Force base. And she was a social worker and she wanted to bring in at-risk kids to be raised by senior citizens so that they would have family and they would be raised old school, you know, sort of like I was raised in the fifties and the sixties. And so I just sort of put it away in a drawer and then Bernadine showed up at about that time. And I had no idea that the two were connected. Uh, as a writer, sometimes characters show up and you go, well, what the hell are you doing? Who are you? Why are you here? Um, and she had all this money that she had gotten from this divorce settlement. Um, in the early days, people were asked, is that Oprah? No, it's not Oprah. It's Bernadine. <laughs> um, so I put her in a drawer. <clears throat> and then when Eric and I got to talking about doing something other than... Um, the historicals and the contemporary romance. It just sort of came together. My agent had been on me about trying to do, well, she wanted me to do a small town series. And I was like, I'm not doing a small town series. I'm content to be writing these award-winning African-American historical romances and contemporaries, blah, blah, blah. So she sold the series without telling me. <laughs> so, you know, I love her to death. She's great. Um, and so as I looked at the idea and um, went through my drawer and said, oh, Bernadine, you know, and then the, the, the Parade Magazine article showed up. And so I said, okay, I know what I'm gonna do now. And the book, I've never had a book write itself. It was as if this book, it was its time. And it basically wrote itself. Wow. Um, Zoe under the bridge. And yeah, you, Zoe's got a whole arc too. I'm not going to tell you about that because that's a big spoiler. Um, all the kids, all the kids were in, in, in place. Wow. So that's where it came from. Thank you. That sounds amazing. I love their dynamic in the rec center 
in book in in on the corner of hope and maine like when they want to they so desperately want to pull robin into their circle and they're giving her space and this is very sweet very very sweet found families is is a is a big um theme because not everybody has family you know i'm from a huge family i got 21 first cousins you know because wow. <laughs> my mom had seven kids and they all have kids and you know, and then, and I'm also an adoptive parent. So I know it's sort of from both sides. Mm -hmm. And having family, whether it's found or biological, you know, it can affect your life in many ways and it can be very positive. So, yeah. Speaking of positive effects, we were just talking about Sheila Barrett who runs for the mayor of Henry Adams, and you also have a female pastor in the town. And of course, Bernadine is basically the town's CEO. So I'm wondering what impact it has on Henry Adams having women in these high-powered roles. They're basically building the town. Bernadine bought Henry Adams off of eBay, and there was nothing. There was no infrastructure. They put themselves up. Uh, on eBay because they couldn't pay their taxes and they were about to lose everything. And Trent was mayor at that time. So she came in and, you know, started throwing that money around and, you know, brought in Wi-Fi and, and took care of the senior citizens, social security and gave everybody health care and did all of the things that, you know, you would hope that a person would do when they had that much money. Me, I'd probably buy shoes and, and Dooney and Burke bags, right? <laughs> but <laughs> she used it to better everybody's life. And then Lily had sort of grown up there. And so she came back to town and she was a, 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 a very, very successful administrative assistant. And Bernadine didn't know the first thing about infrastructure or administration. So they got together. And then Tamara just rules everything. I mean, you know, she is you know, the matriarch. So she was already powerful, but, and also the keeper of the history. So I think um, when Bernadine brought these kids in, um, it affected the town in the sense that it gave it life again. It would not have survived without them. Of course, the dads play a great role too. Um, it's not just all female based, but Basically, it is all female based. So if you very rarely see in literature, um, towns run by women. Mm. And I, like I said, I'm just letting the story, I'm just an observer. I'm just <laughs> letting them, you know, it's coming through me and I'm writing it down. So, you know, <laughs> you take, take from it whatever uh, you get from it. So, yeah. Switching gears a little bit. In one of the most romantic scenes in the book, Bernadine flies kites with Mal. And this was such a sweet, detailed moment that I have to ask you, do you fly kites? Yes. <laughs> My late husband and I flew kites. We flew kites. You know, we always had kites in the trunk. We would fly kites. I taught my kids how to fly kites. Um, we go to the beach. We go to the beach in the wintertime and fly kites. Oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> It that is. sounds so nice. You know, I, my birthday is um, February 15th, which is, you know, right there next to Valentine's Day. So he would call it happy, happy everything weekend. 
So we would dump the kids, you know, first a daughter and then both of them when we adopted John and go to the western side of the state over by Lake Michigan, which is on the other side of the lake is Chicago. Um, he used to read meters up there when he was in high school, worked for the big gas company. So he knew all the back roads and, you know, telling me stories about running from bulls and all kinds of stuff like that <laughs> on all these farms and stuff. So we would go up and more than likely we'd have a kite with us. Um, it's kind of hard to fly them in the wintertime when you try not to slip on the ice and fall in the lake. But um, in the fall, we rarely went up in the summer, too many people. We would go when there was nobody there. Right, and yeah. kites were our thing. Um, I haven't flown a kite since he's, since he's been gone. I need to get my kites out again. But. Oh, Barbara from our Book Club Girls Facebook group has a question for you. She said that she isn't ready to leave Henry Adams yet. And you mentioned earlier, but can you talk a little bit about what's coming for Henry Adams and if you're working on another book? I'm working on another book. Um, Amari is going to be in this one. I know that because he's already talking to me. Um, We have our chef coming in. Um, So he's got something to do. We're going to maybe, maybe, maybe hook him up with Reverend Paula because she needs love. She's had had an awful childhood. Um, And other than that, I don't know. We're going to wait and see what the, what the, what the characters tell me to do. Um, and like I said, it, it may be the last book and it may not. We'll see. Okay, Bev, we have one final question for you. Every episode, we ask our, our guest, the author, what is your literary white whale? What is the book you've always meant to read or something you started reading and just have never finished? I don't have any of those. I read until I'm done, you know, and, and avid reader all my life. And, and one of the downsides of being an author is that you don't get to read as much as you want to or mm. used to, but I'm a big fantasy reader. So if I pick it up, I'm going to finish it. Mm. Um, I might not have finished it, that crap they had us reading in high school, but <laughs> you know, this stuff, you know, fantasy and romance and, I don't read a little bit of everything, Westerns and, you know, I don't read horror though. That shit scares me. So I don't read horror. (laughs) (laughs) Bev, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really enjoyed it. And I think that your blessing series is like the ultimate binge. It sounds like you can start at book one and just keep rolling. And there's no reason to read anything else till you finish. You tell people, feed your kids though. You know, it's like... (laughs) They, you know, they read my books and they, they give their kids crackers and peanut butter <laughs> somewhere. Um, so. Bev, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. This was fabulous. Thank you very much. That was Beverly Jenkins, whose book, On the Corner of Hope in Maine, is out now. To find out more about Beverly's book and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com slash podcast, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast is to tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You'll hear from us again in two weeks, where we'll be speaking with New York Times bestselling author Christina Baker-Klein about her beloved novel, Orphan Train. 
but you can always stay in touch with us between episodes. We're both on Instagram. Find us at Tavia Reads and at Eliza is Reading, and of course, at Book Club Girl. You can join in on our conversations too. Later this month, we are interviewing Susan Mallory about her novel, The Friendship List. If you have questions for Susan, post them in the comments on our Book Club Girls Facebook group or call us at 212-207-7336. You can also send us an email, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if your question gets asked on the show, we will send you a free book. Before we go, a big thank you to Jordan Gosperay, who produced today's episode, and to Beverly Jenkins for gamely setting up a remote recording studio in her home for this episode. Until next time, I'm Eliza. And I'm Tavia. Happy reading. Thanks for bringing me out here. You're welcome. Didn't know if you'd agree, but it was such a nice day. Figured I'd take a chance and ask. I'm glad you did. I've been wanting to take Mimi out. Mimi? It's what I named the kite. After Tina's mom. Ah. Time seemed to stand still in that moment. Memories of them being together this way in the past washed over her. The intensity in his eyes made her believe he was thinking along the same lines and not sure what might become of it. She broke the contact. Let me get my line tied on and send this lady up. Bernadine sat. And after tying a lark's head knot, attached her Dacron line to the kite. She was reminded that he'd taught her the knot. It had taken her a few times to learn how to make it, even while she'd fumed at her failed attempts. He'd been his ever-patient self, encouraging her until she mastered it. They were now ready separating herself from him by a few yards so their kite lines wouldn't cross. She let Mimi catch the wind and fed her the line as she climbed. The kite soared quickly and smoothly. The gold diamonds on her belly caught the sunlight and glowed like Zoe's coins. Her happiness showed itself in her wide smile. Looking Mal's way, she saw him smiling back. A second later, His black dragon took flight. The big kite sported accents of red and silver, and like Mimi, caught the sunlight as it climbed and soared against the bright blue sky overhead. Once Bernadine was certain Mimi could probably see to Milwaukee from her spot in the sky, she stopped giving her line and let her dance. The kite swayed and frolicked in the steady breeze, and her owner swore this was the best gift she'd ever received. Mal had two lines on his kite, so he could make it rise and fall like she imagined a real dragon might move. It was fascinating. Made her a little envious, too, but also determined to one day be equally as skilled. Watch this, he called. Expertly handling the twin lines, he made his kite undulate more precisely. Show off, she yelled. That's my name. Don't wear it out. She laughed. 